Well, this morning, I welcome all of you, of course, and I welcome those of you online. I have to look up to that little thing in the ceiling. And I welcome you to our Sunday morning gathering. You know, this morning, I'm going to be addressing very quickly, very shortly, those online. And my prayer and my wish is that I wish to extend a warm and special cordial invitation that they may come to the point where they yearn for a deep and fulfilling in-person experience with the presence of the Father. You know, this morning, I want them to know that New Hope Chapel is a place where God is revealed and worshipped in spirit and in truth. So my wish is for them to come and to feel welcome to come and experience in-person worship that will carry their hearts to the throne of God. I want them to come and expecting because the Lord will be here waiting for them. And this touches on my sermon because I want them to know that they will have walked right into his arms the moment they enter what I know to be a wonderful place. And so... They're welcome, obviously, where they are now. My sermon for all of you and for them this morning is part two of the one. You know, I delivered part one a couple of weeks ago. And this morning, my theme is the one that matters. My text is, again, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. But we jump now to verses 11 to 32. You'll find in your handout, you'll find the text printed in the NIV, Uh, together with the sermon outline in the back for your easy reference. I want you to walk with me, as I always do, through Psalm 1914. And so this morning, dear Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? You know, I read a story about a girl who had a nose ring, tattoos, but more striking, a bad attitude. She couldn't stand her parents, and although they were excellent parents and they loved her, she ran away. And she became a drug-addicted prostitute in the city of Detroit. And months go by. She sees her face on a milk carton, but never bothers to even tell her family that she is still alive. And two years later, she is sick, desperate, used up, and her pimp throws her out on the street. And with no other place to run, she calls her dad and gets his voicemail. And she leaves a message. Then gets on a bus thinking that maybe when she arrives, she can get a ride from the bus station to her old house. Well, upon arriving, as she steps off the bus, to her amazement, she is greeted by 40 brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, cousins, grandparents, and of course, her parents. They're all wearing party hats, and they're holding this huge banner stretched out from end to end, and it says, Welcome Home. And as she rushes to her father to tell him and say, I'm sorry, the father stops her and puts his hand over her mouth and says, We'll talk later. But for now, we've got to get home. There's a treat for you. There is a banquet being held for you. We are having a party. This story undoubtedly sounds familiar to 
most, if not all of you, because the greatest storyteller in the history of the world named Jesus told a similar story 2,000 years ago. It's probably the most famous and beloved story that he ever told. Believers and unbelievers know this story. You know, it's actually a part of a parable. It's the longest parable that Jesus ever told. It has more dialogue than any other parable. It is one of those stories that you never get tired of telling and you never get tired of hearing. And anybody and everybody can relate to this story because you can find something or someone in there that you relate to. You know, Shakespeare wrote plays on this story. The famous painter Rembrandt painted a portrait of this story. Charles Dickens called it, he's a novelist, he called it the greatest short story of all times. I'm sure you'll agree that if we turn Jesus' stories into music, this might very well be the greatest hit ever. It is also one of the mistold stories because most of the time when the story is recounted, it stops when the prodigal son comes home. But it is more than just about one son. Because Jesus begins the story by saying in our text, Luke 15, 11, there was a man who had two sons. You know, there are actually two sons, two brothers, and they both represent every person in this world who is apart from God. We're in a two-part sermon that we're calling The One. Because there is one that should always matter to us. Because it is the one that matters to God. It is that one lost sheep, that one lost silver coin, and that son that is far away from God that needs to come home. We all have our one. You know, Jesus is talking to two groups of people in this story, sinners and Pharisees. People who were discouraged and disinterested in coming to church and people who never missed. And of these two groups, one group was so bad they didn't think that God would ever accept them. The other group was so good they thought God had already accepted them, but they were both wrong. And so Jesus told this parable. Another misnomer is that the story is about either son. It really isn't. The main character of the story is the father. It is why Rembrandt put the father right in the center of the canvas. The father is mentioned 12 times in 20 verses. He's the real hero of the story. This story is not so much about a sinning son or a bitter brother, but a forgiving father. And of course, the father represents God. The whole point of the parable is very simple. The Father's door is always open and his message is always welcome. You know, the parable actually falls into three neatly different parts that tell us about the heart of our wonderful God. This morning is part three. And so in your outline, first consider the Father loves us even when we rebel against him. You know, this story begins when the younger son evidently had a good home, a wonderful father, and everything life could, he, he could ever want. But for whatever the reason, he was convinced that life was better and the grass was greener on the other side. 
perhaps he was tired of sowing corn in the field and he wants to sow wild oats in the city. And so our text, Luke 15, 12 states, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now immediately, this would have shocked the people listening to Jesus because under Jewish law, which is so clear and it is so simple, when there are two brothers, the older brother would get two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger one would get one-third. But there was also one very important catch. You didn't get the inheritance until the father was dead. You see, in effect, this son knew he was saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. Can you imagine anything that would be more devastating from one of your children than that? He had dishonored his father, disgraced his father, and disowned his father. You know, the audience would have expected this father to kick him out or beat him up or at least give him a good tongue lashing. But he did the unthinkable and he grants his son's request. He's letting the son know, you may love my stuff more than you love me, but I love you more than I love my stuff. And so the boy leaves with a big smile on his face while the dad is left behind with tears running down his cheeks. Well, things evidently go well at first. Our text, Luke 15, 13, states, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for the distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. This kid is flying with a jet set. He's traveling in the fast lane. Good times are rolling. You know, he sleeps during the day and parties at night. If it felt good, he did it. He had the wealth. He had the women. And he had the wine. But all good times eventually come to an end. Luke 15, 14 states, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the, in the whole country. And he began to be in need. You know, this word squandered back in verse 13 literally means to blow. And to put it simply, he blew it. No, just, not just financially blown it. He blew his character, he blew his reputation, he blew his integrity, he blew his influence, he blew his happiness, and most importantly, he blew his relationship with his family. He had gone from hero literally to zero, and his pocketbook was empty. The women were gone, and the, the wine glasses had dried up. And so for the first time in his life, he was getting used to being broke. But he hasn't hit rock bottom yet. Our text, Luke 15, 15 and 16 states, So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the, stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, if you know anything about Jews and pork, nothing else has to be said. Pigs were considered the most unclean animals of all, and no self-respecting Jew would ever find himself working in a pig pen. 
Well, he wanted to live high on the hog. And he ended up living with the hogs. But there is a point here you don't want to miss that Jesus is making. The world will take everything you have and give you nothing that you really need. This boy had lost everything except the most important thing, the love of his father. There is one thing that is true of you and me, that no matter who we are, where we are, or if we're in a bad place, or how we got to this place, there is a Father in heaven who loves us. And there is no limit to how far he will let you go, and no limit to how long he will wait to get you back. I shared in a previous sermon what I thought was a beautiful sentiment that someone had shared, and that is, a sinner may go to hell unsaved, but he'll never go to hell unloved. You know, the Father loves us. He loves us even when we turn our back on him and we do everything we can to break his heart. And so second in your outline, consider, the Father looks for us until we return to him. And so the son has gone from the penthouse to the outhouse, from the pig house to the doghouse. And no wonder verse 16 ends with these words. Again, Luke 15, 16 states, He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This boy needs to change his last name to bankrupt, because in every way you can imagine, that is exactly what he is. He's financially bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, and relationally bankrupt. The only thing you could tell this kid is this, Cheer up, there is no way it can get worse. And now we come to part two of the story. Our text, Luke 15, 17 states, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I love the way the NIV puts it. This boy came to his senses. You see, when you go to a far country, and by the way, a far country is not hard to find. It's on every map. Because no matter where you are, if you're separated from God, you're living in the far country. So when you cross into the far country, it doesn't just affect your heart, it affects your mind. You not only cannot live right, you can't even think straight. And so this boy had finally awakened, smelled the coffee, learned his lesson, read the tea leaves, and finally realized this, the only path left for him. And so Luke 15, 18 and 19, he said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired servants. You know, the author Robert Frost famously said, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you. Like a pigeon, the homing instinct had kicked in on this kid, and he wanted to go home because he knew that that was the only place that he had left. No other place to turn. Now this next verse would bring tears to a glass eye. Luke fifteen twenty states, So he got up and he went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This son had turned his back on his father, but the father had never turned his back on his son. You know, this son strutted out the front door smelling like a rose, and now he was slinking up the path, stinking like a pig. And long before he saw his father, his father saw him. And again, the scene would have just crushed the ones listening to the story. Because you see, in that ancient Hebrew culture, it was considered completely undignified for an older man to run. To run, that older man had to take all of his flowing garments off and get down to his undergarments and strip down, basically, in order to run. But that dad didn't care what anybody thought. He wanted the whole world to know that his love for his son is unconditional. And there are two arms that will always be open to his son, and that is the arms of his dad. This is what makes this story even more amazing. That is this. At first, the son is broke, and then he's broken. The father is literally smothering that boy with kisses. Well, listen, that boy was filthy, but the dad couldn't smell the dirt. That boy stunk like a pig, but the dad didn't smell the stink. He's kissing the boy so much, the boy can't even talk. You see, whenever you have a sinning son, he meets a forgiving father. Love flows like a river, and the joy explodes like a firecracker. You know, you're looking at how God the Father treats everybody, saved or unsaved, if they decide to come back. And it doesn't matter how far they have gone or where they inhabit the far country. Well, I am concerned with, with all. I am especially concerned with those online because I don't know where you are. You could be so far away and you, could, you believe that you could never come home. Well, let me just tell you, the Father looks at you with eyes that forgive you. He speaks to you with a heart of forgiveness. He runs to you with the feet of forgiveness. He embraces you with the arms of forgiveness, and he kisses you with the lips of forgiveness. And now the son tries to give this rehearsed speech, but notice what happens. In Luke 15, 21 and 22, it states, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. All the son wanted to ask for was to be a minimum wage servant, but he never got to finish the sentence. The father gave him the best robe. Who, who, who owned that robe? It was the father's. The son said, Father, I have sinned. But the robe said, Your sins are forgiven. The father put on a ring on his hand. A ring in that day was used to transact business. In essence, that dad gave that boy access to his book accounts and to all of his money. 
So when the son said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, the ring said, but I am worthy to call you my son. And then he gives him sandals. Back in the day, slaves never, they went barefoot. The only ones that wore shoes or any kind of coverings were family members. And he wanted to say, just make me one of your hired servants. But the shoes said, you're not a servant. You are my son. That boy gave the father nothing, but he took everything he had. And the father took nothing from the boy, but he gave him everything he needed. Then they killed the fat calf. Most meals in that day did not include meat because it was so expensive. You know, with a fattened calf, it was especially unique and a special occasion. With a feast like this, everyone in the village would be invited. I think the dad wanted to be sure that everybody in the village would know that the son that had been lost, the son that he had been looking for, had come home and it was time for a party. And normally this is where most everybody ends the story. But let's not forget, there's a second son. The first son represents the sinners, people outside the church. The second son represents the Pharisees, people inside the church. And then we learn this third lesson. So third in your outline, consider the father longs for us when we reject him. Now you would think that everybody would have been happy in this story, but somebody wasn't happy. There was one person who was really upset. Look at Luke 15, 25 to 28, which states, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fat calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. Now, amazingly, this son is so angry that he takes this radical step of breaking his relationship with his father. Because for a son to refuse to go to any part of a banquet in that day where the father is the host was an unspeakable public insult. It was a cultural slap in the face. Why was this son so angry? Luke 15, 29 states, But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. One son was ashamed of his sinfulness. The other son was proud of his goodness. Both sons were far from God, and only the second son did not realize it. The hardest person to win to Jesus Christ is not the person who believes he doesn't deserve the grace of God. It is the person who doesn't think he needs the grace of God. Both are equally far from God. One person rebels against the goodness of God, and the other person is rejecting the grace of God. Now, you know, when you look at the older brother, 
you begin to understand more of why the younger brother wanted to leave home to begin with. <clears throat> the younger brothers of the church are still out there in the pig pen. And they don't want to come home. They don't want to come to church because they see a church full of older brothers who don't want them to come. They see judgmental, self-righteous people who would rather use a finger to point out your faults than to use a hand to show them love. And that is why the story concludes with these words. Luke 15, 31 and 32 states, My son, the father said, You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. Do you understand what God is saying to us through these very words? He is saying to to those of us who are in the church, who have given our lives to God, who are trying to live for him, to obey him, to, to honor him. He is saying that the one that still matters is the one outside the church. There has no need for God and no use for God and no love for God. And as far as we know, the older brother never did come in. It reminds me once, once again of what I've seen in my own ministry. It is much easier to reach unrighteous people for God than to reach self-righteous people for God. Who has a better chance of going to a doctor? It's not the person who is sick, but thinks that he is well. It is the person who realizes he is sick. Blessed are the poor in spirit. First beatitude. I'm putting in a plug for my Thursday night class. I want you to think about one last thing. You know, there is actually a third son in this story. It is the son who tells the story. It is because of that son who died on the cross and came back from the dead so that the door of forgiveness would always be open and so that the light of heaven would always be on in order that our stories would always have a happy ending. Well... I can tell you that if you are in the far country, that there is a father that's waiting, watching, willing and wanting to help you, willing and willing to bring you home. He would like us to participate in that program. But for you, if you have, in fact, gone far in the far country, you cannot go so far away that you can't come back. And no matter how far it is, you cannot be so far away that you can't return. And no matter how far down you get, you've not gone down so much that you can't come up. Now, if this isn't you, because your relationship with the Father is good, then you're blessed, and then let us not forget that we are to be looking, loving, and longing for the one because that matters to God. And of course, we realize that they are undoubtedly in the far country. The question is, who is your number one? And if they come in droves or they come in one at a time, what is it? 
It's party time. Amen?